0: Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of flyingfreenow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. It's here! Welcome to episode 100 of the Flying Free Podcast. I am super excited to present this episode to you because it is a compilation, a little snippet of almost every single episode we've had so far. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's dig in.
1: If you've asked a few times and change hasn't happened, um, the next step would be deciding how you're going to manage your own life. In other words, the way that Danny Silk and Keep Your Love On describes setting boundaries. Boundaries aren't telling the other person what to do. They're telling the other person what you're going to do.
2: Mm.
1: So it would be things like, um, hey, I've noticed that when I've asked for honor, it doesn't seem to come back to me. From now on, if you're not honoring to me, I'm going to not engage in a conversation that you're not honoring to me.
0: I had to learn that no, someone can actually, I need to live in the uncomfortable feeling that someone's maybe disapproved of me because I had to say no to something. Whether it's no, I can't buy that product or no, I can't work in the nursery or no, I can't take on this extra ministry responsibility because I've got other responsibilities. The answer is no. And it's not because I don't love you or don't want to help you. It's because I have priorities. And my priority right now, and they don't necessarily include making sure that you get everything that
3: you want from me. The, another hard thing for women is we go to churches and like your gut tells you there's something wrong here because that power over, I it's satanic and it is oppressive and you can feel it in your gut when you walk in a church. Um, just like a, a mom can have that intuition that, uh, uh that guy is probably a pervert. Um, you gotta listen to that. Yep. And the hard part though, is you feel in your gut, something's wrong, but you look around and there's all these happy women. So yeah. there's something wrong with me because I'm seeing stuff and nobody else is seeing it.
0: Okay so let's talk about what the purpose of marriage is because there there is a thing out there that says the purpose of marriage is to make you holy. It's not yeah. to make you happy but di- did God establish marriage when you think at the you know in the garden of Eden did God establish marriage for the purpose of making Adam and Eve holy? I don't remember reading that in Genesis I don't did you well, see something about that? Well, when they when God put Adam and Eve together and established marriage, they were already holy. They were perfect. They, they were. had never even yeah. sinned. Their purpose, the whole was purpose was was completely, it was all about being one flesh. Exactly. It was yeah. all about being together. It was fellowship. Yeah. It was unity. It was just is it was enjoyment of one another, reveling in this wonderful relationship with one another and with their creator.
4: In that passage, that says, do not forsake the assembly. Um, the word that's used actually means do not ignore those who have been um, hurt and, and oppressed. Um, that's the sense of that word, the mm-hmm. literal sense of that word. And we've, we've taken a literal translation of that and, and applied it to American, uh, the American church model and said, well, forsaking the assembly means not going to church when the church meets on Sunday morning. That's not what it means. The, the, the heart of that passage is, don't be, uh, don't be the priest who walks on the opposite side of the road of the man who's bleeding.
0: They've done Im- images of brains of people who have post-traumatic stress disorder and brains that have been on drugs. And their brains have the same, in the same areas of their brains are actually damaged. So it does do, phys, there, it is a physical abuse.
3: They know how to present themselves as a sheep to the public, but these are wolves. They know what they're doing. Their actions are deliberate. Um, the cruelty is a means of maintaining that power and that control over our lives. And so no matter how godly you are, no matter how submissive you are, no matter how gracious and loving and patient and prayerful you are, all of that gives him power.
0: In a dysfunctional relationship, one or both partners are not taking personal responsibility. They are either putting the responsibility on the other person, which looks like shame, blame shifting, denying, minimizing, excusing, justifying, controlling, and accusing, or they are taking all of the responsibility on themselves, which looks like placating, appeasing, covering up, pretending, and overlooking in a healthy relationship, both partners can safely and freely offer feedback to the other one, and that feedback is heard, respected, and responded to. You
5: know, I had this view that anyone with the credentials was, was fit to, to do what I needed them to do, and I think um, in, instead of having that mindset, I think it's so important to look at people as individuals and see, watch what they do and how they how they interact with you instead of just assuming that since they've got the credentials, they went to school. This goes for anything counseling or being a pastor or anything. Just look at what they do. Look at who they are as individuals. Don't just assume that they, they are a good
0: person because of what position they're in. The church often does discipline one of the parties, but the party that they discipline more often than not is the female who's bucking their system. So she's usually the one who gets kicked out? Now, this is a spiritually abusive environment. The answer for you personally is not to try to change others. That means we, we don't try to change the church. We don't try to change our friends and their worldview. We don't try to change our abuser and his worldview. The answer lies in being able to let go of everybody else and what they think and what they believe. And turn your focus back to, well, to turn your focus back to Jesus Christ himself and to you and change yourself. Move away from the groups and institutions that are teaching a destructive worldview. And, you know, that this will involve some studying and reading. And um, you can find resources on my website, flyingfreenow.com.
5: Um, the thing that strikes me though is is looking back, I would, you know, I was like mentoring other young Christian women and or um, you know, giving them advice and it was always from a place of well, you need to be doing this instead of coming alongside them and um and 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 helping them see things for themselves and just being a support for them and and that's one of the things I cringe about, like, you know, using the bible as um a, a list of rules instead of a guide on grace right. um and so and and imposing that on other people and not and so is what that does is it it negates um the individual responsibility of that person before god and their individual relationship and and puts you in the place of god which is never where we're supposed to be yep. and um and imposing something on them that is is the opposite of what god wants for us in our relationships
0: So when, when we allow other people to come over into our house and yard and then all of a sudden we decide, well, not all of a sudden, but we eventually learn, okay, I need to take care of my own house and yard. And so I need to ask these people to all leave. Now you guys can all go, go take care of your own house and yard. Usually what happens is those people, they're used to controlling you. They're used to telling you what to do. They're used to you meeting their needs that would be you in their house and yard. There's a lot yeah. of enmeshment, a lot of crossing over of boundaries, okay? Yeah. And when you decide, when you actually establish those clear boundaries around yourself, you start taking care of yourself, you start letting them go, you know, if you stop taking care of their rose garden, you start taking care of yours. That then these people people tend to get upset about that. Yeah. They don't like they that can. you're upsetting the status quo. You're changing things up. The relationship dynamics are going to change, and um, it is going to be extremely uncomfortable. It's yeah. there's a it's a double whammy because you're already like you described. You're feeling guilty. You, you're not really sure. Is this really what I should be doing? And then you've got this person yeah. who's mad at you. And they're kind of trying to reinforce that guilt and, and, you know, blame you when things fall apart, when their rose garden is no longer blooming because you're not over there fixing it for them. Or, yeah. um, or when they're feeling rejected because you won't let them come over and do whatever they want to do, um, they're going to be upset and that's going to that's be hard. There are many reasons we choose to keep things status quo, and sometimes these reasons are good ones. Sometimes we have very little choice, especially when children are involved. But often, we have more choices than we're willing to admit, and we may not be aware of our ability to change in small increments, slowly rewiring our brains, learning new skills in how to relate to abusive people and groups, an awakening to our own value as daughters of God. Change almost never occurs overnight. More often, it takes place quietly in the small, imperceptible things we alter slightly every single day. This is the kind of change I'd like to challenge you to pursue. In this way, over the period of one year, five years, and ten years, you will change the entire course of your life. What what other people are seeing when they look at this whole situation is that they're seeing a woman who is in fight mode, all right? She might have been in flight mode before, but now she's in fight mode because she's fighting for her emotional and spiritual well-being. She's fighting for her life on a level that is different from maybe fighting for your life if a tiger is running after you, but it is the same thing. And because she's in fight mode, she is desperately trying to survive and she's looking to community to help her with this. Because we were not created to be alone. We weren't created to be loners, lone rangers. We were created to have community that would come together and support one another and help each other through the hard times. But because, but this is the very time that the people that she needs the most, the people that she's poured her life into over the years, this is the time that they actually abandon her. And one of the reasons they abandon her is because she's breaking down their you know comfortable structure that is you know the status quo by her truth telling and because she's fighting they don't like it it looks like it doesn't look very good when women fight it doesn't look people don't our culture doesn't really like that they don't accept that um they and, and what they're and what they're seeing him doing on the other hand Is he's very, he doesn't, he has no scruples when it comes to lying, pretending, faking. So he comes across and he is coming across like the victim. He's crying all of a sudden. So, where she's been spending years crying on her bathroom floor, begging God for help, where nobody can see her, now she's not doing that anymore. He is crying. And only he's not, doing it, he's not doing it in secret on his bathroom floor. He's doing it in front of the people that he knows are strategic to cry in front of. He's doing it in front of the people that he knows if he, they see him cry, they're going to feel bad for him. They're going to see her fighting. They're going to see him crying. And what are they going to think?
5: What's even worse, Natalie, is you're exactly right. It is vile, judgmental hatred towards human beings, and it's worse because it's in the name of Jesus. Yes, and they will say that all day all day long that they're they're just doing what the Bible says, and and they you know they follow the God of the Bible, but what they've done is they've looked at the Bible like a set of rules instead of as a way to To find out who Jesus Christ is and God's plan for humanity, yep. they're taking, they're they're doing, they're they're taking those verses out like they did in the Desiring God article on grief, um, the one verse, one verse in First Thessalonians, and he's made an entire um, dogma or, or doctrine out of it about yep. how you're supposed to grieve, missing the entire heart of God's God's um, plan and purpose and love towards human
0: beings that He created. Think about all the things that a woman getting out of an abusive relationship has to give up and surrender yeah. to God.
6: Oh, yeah. She has to
0: surrender her reputation. She has to surrender her children. She has to surrender her career or her life or her financial status, her home. Mm-hmm. She has to surrender everything. She has laid low. She has to surrender her friendships. She has to surrender. So she's taken initiative to do what I f- believe is right in standing up and saying no to abuse and she has to get surrender all of these things to God. It is, it is takes a tremendous amount of faith for women to do that. You know, there's so many layers of losses when you go through divorce, especially as a woman of faith in a faith community. So um, it's just a completely, it, it is a extremely traumatic thing. And then if you were the one who initiated the divorce there is an, a layer of complexity to that as well, because you didn't want a divorce, but it doesn't appear that way to anybody else. It mm-hmm. appears that you are the one breaking up the marriage, when in fact, you are the one that's simply acknowledging that the marriage has already, was never really intact in the first place and was being destroyed bit by bit on the, on the inside.
7: Sacred acts of self-care are not about guilt. It's about permission. Here's a list of permissions. Giving
5: yourself permission to not be everything to everyone. Giving yourself permission to slow down
7: sometimes. Giving yourself permission to just sit and read. Giving yourself permission to be mom instead of super mom. Mm -hmm. Giving yourself permission to say, no, thank you. Giving yourself permission to take a nap instead of doing the dishes. Giving yourself permission to say yes when someone offers to help instead of letting pride get in the way and thinking that you don't need it. Giving yourself permission to set stronger, healthier boundaries. And here's my favorite. It's a huge one. And that is giving yourself permission to only carry your own suitcase of emotional responsibility instead of carrying someone else's.
0: To have a healthy marriage, we needed to submit more. It was very simple. The key was simply that that we needed to submit more and that if we would do that, our husbands then would better be able to do what they're required to do, which is love us more. So in other words, mm-hmm. their love was kind of predicated on our submission, and and then they would say, you know, they would give a disclaimer and say he should be loving you too, but it, uh, but we, but you know, you need to focus on your submission, not his mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. So how I mean, how did that work out for you? And what is and what is your current is so? Are, do you have a great relationship now because you are submitting perfectly now and your husband is <laughs> loving you perfectly? <laughs> oh. I have a great relationship because
5: my, the person I am with is a wonderful, godly, patient man, and he genuinely loves me and cares about me. That is why, and, and I feel the same way about him, that is why we have a really good relationship.
0: So, let's review the order of priority here. A victim comes forward for help. She needs to be emotionally and spiritually and physically safe. That ought to be the number one priority. But the number one priority of the church is to save the marriage, and the number two priority is to change the abuser in order to achieve the number one priority. So, the abuser puts his energy into performing an act for the church, making it appear he has changed so he can regain his control over the woman. And while he is doing this, he is also covertly planting seeds of doubt in everyone's minds about her paving the way for the future smear campaign he will need to launch in case his plan doesn't work and she leaves him anyway. The important point to remember here is that the abuser is almost always the one who wants to save the marriage. Think about it. Abusive men need to maintain control over their targets. It is a private and public affront to him to have his wife slip away, and he is all about image management and control. His agenda to hang on to his victim—save the marriage—appeals to the church's number one priority, which automatically places him on the side of righteousness in their viewpoint. His goal and their goal are the same. Then, when they compare this seemingly noble goal of saving the marriage to the wife's goal, which is to stop pretending, stop covering up, walk in truth, set healthy boundaries, get away from the abuse, and pursue healing— they side with the abuser. In order to justify their abandonment of the victim, they need to do exactly what her abuser has done for decades, control and shame her. And that's exactly what they do.
5: Just some general principles about giving narcissists information. Um, it it opens up vulnerability to you, which is... Um, it can be really tricky because you want to help them. Right. And we spent our entire uh, marriages, um, helping them, um, help trying to make them see things, et cetera. And so it seems like a good idea to give them all the information that we are discovering, right. About, um, the things that are finally making sense. Right. Yeah. But unfortunately, because of the pathology of narcissism, they use information like a weapon, and oftentimes, most of the time, against you. Mm -hmm. And so what happens a lot of times is um, if you give them books that talk about like what narcissists do or anything like that, um, they'll start using that language against you. And it will make your life even more confusing.
0: Statistically, kids do better as long, if they have at least one parent or one adult in their life, who is emotionally intelligent, who is empathetic, and who accepts and loves them for, you know, wherever they're at in their, in their journey, that that child has a, far, has a very good percentage of a chance of thriving in their adult yes. life. Always remember that the behaviors that you see look like, they look like anger, disrespect, and rebellion, okay? But underneath, and, and you know, the Christian world will say, spank them, spank the living tar out of them. But you know what? Underneath all of those behaviors, what you've got is a person who is afraid, a human being who is crying out for unconditional love, validation, and acceptance. Again, that does not mean that you agree with them on something. It just means that you validate their experience, okay? You listen, you care, you're empathic. This is what we need, and this is what our kids need too.
6: He tells me with tears in his eyes that he uses videos of other women to make up for what I lack. He's so sad, so grieved about his failure. There's no allowance for me to be angry. I must offer grace and forgiveness, so I do, at each new confession, each new failure, year after year. But his words ring in my ears, the comments about my weight, my size, my looks. They cut like a knife, his eyes above me looking down, disgust pouring out. My body lying there exposed, examined, found wanting, disappointing, discarded. But later, the cruelty taken back, never meant should be forgotten. Promises made, promises broken, a cycle repeating. If only I could be better. If only my skin could bring him joy instead of pain.
0: So, But when you do that, when you confront them and you give them feedback about their behavior, you are risking them coming back at you and saying horrible things to you, either blaming you for it or, um, telling you lies about what they did or didn't do or whatever. And that really hurts. And so, but that's, that's the only way that you're going to know that he's really changed is -hmm. if you confront is if you keep pressing. And, um, I, I've talked to, um, I've talked to other women who really have believed I've seen this over and over again, actually. They really believe that their husband has really changed. And usually within three months, they're back again saying, nope, I guess he hasn't.
7: My kids have one healthy home now. Do you know what I mean? Rather than having one, like one home, like the the quote, whole home, it's not a broken home. But rather than have a home where only one place to go, where they couldn't get away, They couldn't hide. They couldn't escape into themselves to get away from the abuse of their mother. Um, Who knows if it would have turned heavily onto the children. It may have, it may not have. But a place where they were witnessing just absolutely toxic um, conditions every single day. But so now they only have to be in that environment part of the time. right? And the other part of the time since I chose divorce, is I can give them a really healthy, positive, together, like a, a, a family. Like we we are, my kids and I are a family now.
2: But it's, it's interesting to me that often you're seen as a heretic just for saying, you know, I'm questioning things or I'm wrestling with this issue. But in reality, I, mean, I believe that's really what we are called to do because we we learn when we wrestle and we come face to face with God in those moments. And we're able to ask questions of him. I mean, he knows everything that's going on in our hearts and our minds. He knows when we doubt him. He knows all of this stuff about us. I got to the point that I would just have very real conversations with him. When I was mad, I would tell him I was mad, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of silly, but in those moments, that's when we really, are able to connect in a new way. And he teaches us something new and he replaces lies with truth. And that all of that is what helps us gain ground against the enemy. And the enemy can be our husbands. The enemy can be people in church that are not telling us the truth and are not, um, potentially, uh, filled with the Holy spirit And it starts to give us discernment to be able to tell all of these things, um, you know, truth from lies and freedom from bondage and all of that. So... But the reason why somebody is abusive is two things. The first thing is because it is hugely beneficial. And people don't want to hear this. No, Society don't want to hear it. And when we're being abused, we don't want to hear it. We want to believe that he must be some sort of tortured soul. You know, that we have this idea that hurt people hurt people. And it's really hard for him in our Christian narratives of sin and brokenness and everything. But actually, fundamentally, he's abusive because he gets what he wants. He gets somebody who does whatever he wants. He gets sex on demand. He gets to have the status of being a good parent and a good spouse for that act Actually, doing anything, you know, this is like, you know, he never takes responsibility. He gets to blame everyone else, and and we all kind of run around doing everything that he wants, and and then and then and take all the responsibility for anything that goes wrong. Like, who wouldn't want a life like that?
0: Have you heard of the term "fleas"? Narcissistic fleas. Yes, I was. Yes, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I was
5: I was not certain if that was like a good thing to say because I don't want to compare people to like dogs, dogs or something that gets fleas, but like, it's, it's a good term, narcissistic fleas, because you don't, you pick it up by being around someone or a dog or something that has fleas and
7: you don't want
0: those fleas Right, you can't get rid of them. Right. Well, and the Bible even says, you know, if you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. So whoever you're hanging out with, the kinds of people that you're hanging out with and spending time with, they're gonna have an influence on you. So if you're actually living with and sleeping with and having children with and raising kids with, someone who is foolish and someone who's uh, um, negative and critical and angry that is going to rub off on you. It's just inevitable. It doesn't yeah. mean that that's who you are or that's who you would be if you hadn't been living with that person for so long, but that is going, that is going to happen. So that, that fleas thing, that they're going to come on you.
4: Yeah, I would say the first one of that is just understanding your boundaries. Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, you know the author of the book Boundaries, he says, boundaries are where you begin and I end. And if I don't know where I end and my husband begins, we can't have good boundaries. right? We both have to know the beginning and the ending of me and what I'm capable of. And the, the issue with empaths is that we want to help everyone and serve everyone. And we feel for them before we feel our own feelings sometimes. So when you, a narcissist loves nothing more than to find and a target an empath, an empathetic person who they can use to do what they want. And so many of us who are empathetic have been used by narcissistic people.
8: You know, it took me to the end of my first year to really start to smile and to be able to have like a really good belly laugh every once in a while.
0: Mm.
8: And about at the two-year mark, I felt like I was turning a corner and that everything would eventually, you know, be okay. I was starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it took me about three years to get back, um, you know, to at least emotional normal. Um, but I found um, I found this Bible verse that has become sort of what I call my divorce. <laughs> verse it's psalm uh, 71 20 through 21 and it goes like this um it's it's um the psalmist speaking to god you have made me endure many terrible troubles you restore me to life again you bring me back from the depths of the earth you comfort me
0: and make me greater than ever what if she's not able, let's say that she's got small kids at home and she's, and her husband really doesn't like her to leave the house very much. Um, how would you, what would you suggest for her to just deal with the, the stress at home?
9: Yeah, that, that's a really good question. See, this is a journey of awareness for all of us, Natalie. I'm sure some who've read your book and then they've got this punch in the gut feeling and, and, and it takes time to process and people's level of readiness for leaving a relationship is going to be, is going to be varied Mm. uh, or leaving the pattern. See, we're talking about divorcing the pattern of the toxic relationship pattern. So, um, so, Actually, and this is this is a real thing where okay, a woman is so beat down, and perhaps she's even gone, um, you know, into inpatient hospitalization because her depression, and anxiety is overwhelming. She's not ready to get out of that relationship until she herself is well. So, um, and this this is it's it's sad, but it's true. You got to have the stamina with which to. Uh, experience the pushback and not everybody is there, but they can be on this journey of being there.
8: What I've discovered is that when you don't fake it, when you're real, you actually have better ministry than when you fake it, because people Mm -hmm. can tell when you're faking it. Yes. So (laughs) I started running this single mothers group at my church. This is way back in 1998. And I realized that I had a very special ministry as a divorce survivor. I had a street cred. Other right. um, other divorces would listen to me in ways they would never listen to a pastor's wife or a woman's director. I mean they, you know, kind of tune them out. Mm-hmm. You know what would they know about my life?
0: There's going to be times in a relationship where you fall apart. Maybe you you your friend died. Maybe you just had a new baby. Maybe your child is really sick and in the hospital. Maybe you're really stressed out because of work or because of something really emotionally um, or traumatic in in a relationship with someone at church or, you know, just for whatever reason, things happen, right? Mm -hmm. And they won't enter into that experience with you. Instead, Mm -hmm. they will They expect you to be on your A game, basically, 100% of the time. And if you are not, then you have failed as a person,
3: as a human being. The church, you know, uh, statistically, clergy are the number one place people go for help. But unfortunately,
7: they are some of the most uneducated, not uncaring, but uneducated people around this. So oftentimes they treat this... Issue like normal
3: marital conflict and it's not the same. It's about power and control. But since it's so complicated
7: and they haven't received training, oftentimes they become more concerned with saving the relationship than being concerned with the individual person and the heartache they're going through.
0: So how do you what
3: what do these women do though? They're they are scrambling
0: trying to save their relationships. What should they be doing instead?
4: Practically speaking, so two two guiding principles. I would really encourage one is be willing work at being willing to appropriately assign responsibility first and foremost. And then when you do that, that's going to usher you right into the process of grief. Like this relationship is untenable. That person doesn't have the capacity to care for me. They've turned on me. They've rejected me. They've, abandon me they said i'm wrong or they're unhealthily trying to help me i don't want that
2: Mm -hmm.
4: so as you appropriately assign the blame which is going to heal you you also then have to do the work of grief and i'm just saying this i'm going to keep saying this i strongly believe this grief is the doorway to freedom
0: surrender to the fact that this process is just plain old painful and there's no getting around it. You can't escape it. If you try to escape it or you try to numb out or you, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of ways that we as humans escape our pain, right? If yeah. you do that, you won't, uh, you won't end up actually coming out on the other side where you can actually be truly free from it
7: and, um, and heal from it. So Yes. And the world is full of people who will not deal with their pain and so it
5: spreads out to all the people around them in various ways but they can't they can't help it Um, and I think dealing with your pain going taking a deep dive inside of yourself and allowing yourself to feel that pain is one of the most courageous things anyone can do.
10: I hear that from women who say I felt like a prostitute and I think that we need to hear that that we need to hear their voices when they say, I feel like a concubine or I feel like a prostitute. Yeah. And, you know, I would even go a step further, Natalie, and I would say, not only might their marriage not be savable, it might've died a very long time ago. right? Um, and that's something, you know, if, you know, like you said, you just said something so wise about the, the abuser's agenda and the church's agenda being aligned in that moment. And now mm-hmm. she is the outcast.
6: Like for people who have been sexually abused, there's also a component of emotional and in churches, there's a component of spiritual abuse that happens even before any type of sexual act happens. Like that's kind of that's what grooming is. There's manipulation and then there's, you know, using scriptures to maintain that position of power and control. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that they had people there that did that really focused on that particular dynamic and named it as emotional abuse and spiritual abuse
4: women don't want to know the truth because the truth actually has really dire consequences. like it, it does. And so I would actually rather be naive and not feel the pain than know that my husband, you know, is cheating on me regularly and masturbating to other women's breasts. Like, no thanks. Like, I I don't want to know what he does at night when I go to bed because it hurts too bad. And that's where it cycles back into the grief of we have to have the courage to live in truth because God is truth. And the more we live in truth is the more we experience God.
7: I think if if you feel afraid, and I know, Natalie, you were saying if you share a less desirable part or a different opinion and they get upset—
0: that's obviously a huge red flag. But I think if you feel afraid to share that, like instinctively, you keep back parts of yourself that are different from him, even if it's not a bad part, it's just a different part, that tells you it's not a safe relationship because you're instinctively scared to actually say who you are and what you think. It is a dead giveaway that, a, that there's a wolf hiding in sheep's clothing when they respond to feedback by making demands or by um, becoming defensive and, and offended in such a way that they begin to attack you. Okay? And it's also when they want things to be covered up or hidden, that's also a dead giveaway. So here's the thing about wolves in sheep's clothing they're in sheep's clothing. So they look like you, they talk like you, they act like you, like all the other sheep. And you can't, you cannot, you don't know that there's a wolf in there until you give them feedback.
5: I lived on dreams. I lived on hope for the future. Yes. And that was such a big part of of just letting go of that marriage was that I, I, I had to realize it is never going to be like that. He is never going to be the person that I thought he was or could be. And we are never going to be the happy family that I dreamed of being and worked towards being every day.
7: And that's why we still care. That's why it still matters to us. That's why when... When we're birthing a big dream in our life, it hurts and there's pain because we know that there's been times where we've birthed and it has laid lifeless and we've had to bury. Every one of us know those stories. Every human knows that story. But women are invited to remind us through their cyclical bleeding that it's only a season, that life, then death, then life always comes.
3: Now, if you're still
0: sitting at the very bottom of that pit, hoping against hope that a miracle will happen and someone will reach down and pull you up so you don't have to make that horrible climb, you're going to be waiting a long time. And here's why. Think about a butterfly trying to emerge from the chrysalis. It is during that struggle that the blood gets pumping through her wings, giving her the wing health and power that she will need to actually fly. If you were to rescue her by cutting open the chrysalis to let her out prematurely, she would die. That's right. She would miss her opportunity to access the power she needs to do, I'm sorry, the power that she needs to do what she was created to do. Her inability to fly will cause her to be easy prey for predators, and she will not survive very long. So instead of thinking thinking that God is unloving not to just pluck you out of hell and set your feet on a wide place, you can instead recognize His infinite wisdom in promising to be right by your side every step of the way, loving you, accepting you when you mess up, and when you succeed, cheering you on no matter what, and then rejoicing over your first flight of freedom when that day comes. God will rescue you Just not the easy, pain-free way we'd all wish for.
7: One of the things that I keep reading about is that you put stuff in long-term memory, your long-term memory files are most open just before you fall asleep. So like Mm -hmm. I've read about other homeschool moms, like have their kids go over their multiplication tables in bed as they're falling asleep. Like they'll have a chart on the wall by the kid's bed or something Mm -hmm. precisely because that's what files it into long-term memory. And then your brain files long-term memory into the short-term memory while you're sleeping and your brain files. So if you are listening, falling asleep, listening to scripture, listening to really good books being read out loud, that kind of stuff, it's going into your long-term memory where it can positively impact your thinking patterns. When, if someone
0: has had an inner transformation, you should be able to press a pressure point in them. You should be able to press for your own autonomy, for your own voice to be heard. You should be able to show up as a, as a whole person. And they will respect your space. They will respect your voice. They will listen. They will care They will make room for you to live and move and breathe in their world. And it will be a beautiful, safe,
3: healthy thing. He said, no, I have two doctors that said I'm sterile. And he got me pregnant the first time. So he knew what the hook was and and how to get me. And so that, um, you know, and with abusive parents, they told me that was my bed I had to lie in it so Mm -hmm. that's how I met my abusive husband.
0: Either number one you could be a gold star quiet obedient to all the men in the club women woman or number two be a rebellious Jezebel so there was no middle ground like say Esther, Ruth, Lydia, Priscilla or Deborah to name a few as long as you fit their mold and you got under their control you were in like Flynn but if you dared to open your mouth to call attention to sin or corruption in your marriage or your church, your head would roll. They'd jump all over you with accusations of being bitter, angry, unforgiving, deceived, rebellious, unsaved, and on and on and on. I've talked to literally hundreds of women who have gone through this. When this happens, it's your wake-up call that the church environment that you thought was healthy is actually covering up a thick, Toxic
10: lie.
0: Even separation and even setting boundaries with people like this, we kind of hope that it's going to wake them up. But that's really aesthetic outward change, then. It, a lot of times they do. Like it doesn't sound like this particular man, it's really made any difference in his life. But a lot of guys will go, Oh, well, you know, I don't want to lose my target. So I'm going to go through the hoops and make it look like I've changed. Yeah. But they, ha- they don't really change on the inside, and therefore it's just aesthetic. And then when, yeah. you, when the woman gets back together with him, then, of course, it goes back to the same old, same old, and then she's faced with having to do the whole thing all over again.
3: It seems to me that we women think that somehow pastors and churches have this power to give us permission and so when you're talking to your pastor next time, I want you to mentally think, I am equal to him. I am only asking him because he is more well-versed. He has more knowledge. And, and what you'll find is you'll instantly go, wait a minute. No, he's not. He has no idea anything about what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So why would you go ask him?
0: Eight years into our marriage, I write, I'm wiped out, Lord. I feel I must be toward the end of what I can bear. I read that and I'm like, if only you knew (laughs) the years and years that are still ahead of you. When we live with a toxic person, they are telling us lies about ourselves. And we are running those lies through our head, thinking about them all the time. And then because they are repetitive, we believe them. When we believe them, we have feelings and emotions attached to those beliefs. We feel ugly and stupid. We feel that way, not because someone told us we were ugly and stupid, even though they did, but because we believed that about ourselves. It's so important that we get this, because you're not going to get yourself back because someone else gives yourself back to you. You're only going to get yourself back when you reclaim yourself. That's that's kind of the best way to approach those situations because what
3: the narcissist wants is they want you to get angry, they want you to react, they want to create this chaos because that's how they maintain their control. And it it's so hard when they do it to your children. That's yeah. the hardest, right? It just it tears at your heart, you know. Yep.
8: You mentioned, um, you know, that you're, you were, you know, told, you know, not to gossip. But the truth of the matter is one of the most healing things after trauma, the trauma of being in an abusive relationship for a long time, is telling your story to safe people. Because the way you stayed in this abusive relationship was covering it up and hiding it. And that destroys you, your psyche, your sanity, your physical health. So it's time to start t- uh, telling your story to safe people, right?
7: When you get to the point where you see value in yourself and you're not going to take this one person, even if you're married to them, you're not going to take this one person's viewpoint of you as, the, as gospel because it's false. It's all a lie anyway. Right.
0: right. Now, is our anger mixed with sin? Well, probably. We're tainted creatures, but that doesn't mean we should never feel that emotion or let that anger put feet to our conviction in order to set captives free. Do you think those that fought against the atrocities of slavery or genocide or the murder of pre-born babies did or do so with smiles on their faces and warm fuzzies filling their hearts? Come on, you guys. We're not in heaven yet. Life is messy, Throwing a floral rug over it is not going to make the mess go away.
3: And maybe because it was fresher and um, I wasn't so young and I had a lot of life experience. So I think maybe there's uh, the the pain seemed greater and especially within the religious world and things like that. And just the, the amount of people that I lost along the way. Was very painful, and a church family that I lost along the way, um, because I didn't, I didn't know how to function, and they didn't know how to, um, I guess, relate to me. Mm-hmm. And so I laid the ministry down and uh, healed some more after getting a divorce.
0: Let's just pretend that you were brainwashed from the time you were a child to believe that if you wore the color red, that you were in a, in a, you were blaspheming God because Jesus shed his blood for us. Just pretend. Okay. That that's one of the, then you would grow up. And even when you heard the idea that, well, that's not really true. If you wore red, you would still have this conscience driven response of, like, I shouldn't be doing this. I feel so guilty. I'm rebelling Mm -hmm. because of how you've been brainwashed with that idea. And that's what I believe that, that a lot of Christian women have been brainwashed with false ideas about what these verses are actually saying. And that's why they feel this conviction and this fear and this guilt. It's completely false. It's not rooted in reality. So the the, the opportunity there is to rewire their brains, to find out what the Bible really does say about these different things, and then to live out that in a healthy and positive way that actually brings you emotional, physical, and spiritual health.
8: When the abuser came along and, and I fell in love with him, uh, that was like getting hit with a wave, and the, you know, like a little girl. And I got hit and I, I fell down. But I got back up. But the second wave was massive, and that was my whole, um, that was my church family. That was religion. That was man-made tradition. When I was rejected by those that I had literally, when the doors were open, I was there. I led women's retreats, you know, I just all those things. When I was rejected
3: by them, when it knocked me down, I almost didn't get back up. I swallowed so much salt water, and I had so much sand in my bottoms, I couldn't get up.
0: I almost drowned. So he's going to bark and growl and stomp his feet and fling accusations and a few choice Bible verses at her back as she makes her exit. He's not a happy camper, and he's going to work really hard to make sure that his target emotionally pays for stepping outside his definition of who she is.
8: One of the most powerful things. I don't know if you saw that article in Christian Today, uh, February fourth, twenty twenty. It it came out, and what it, the the graph at the very bottom of the article showed how badly evangelicals are doing with divorces. Uh, we our our divorces we have done we have demonized divorcees so badly that they don't want to come to evangelical churches. Now they do show up in droves, but a huge number, 20% of them don't just because of the negative, um, you know, the negative messaging they get from the pulpit or from Christian authors and Christian radio broadcasts. It's, it's, um, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. If the evangelical church wants to grow,
3: So the problem in our marriage was there's $3 in the bank. The lights are going to be cut off. We're going to be evicted. Can you help me figure this out? And he would stonewall and just say nothing and look at me like I was insane. And so instead of going to him who was causing the problem to try to figure it out, I had to take control and save my home, just like Abigail. I was married to a fool. Save my home, save my kids' lives by getting a job and paying the bills. But
8: he, of course, wasn't always abusive. He knew how to draw me out. He knew all of my deepest fears and secrets, but he would later use those against me to hurt me or to gain points in an argument. Once he said it was no wonder I had lost my best friend. It was because I was a horrible person. Uh, another time he said it was no wonder that my natural father abandoned me. I was only two at the time. Wow. I remember, I remember looking at him thinking, that's just pure evil talking right there. That doesn't even make sense. Obviously, a two-year-old doesn't do anything to deserve to be abandoned, but that's the kind of abuse that I
0: experienced.
10: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what if you're a wife and your husband is not asking you to sin? He just doesn't agree with you on things. How do you come to a final decision on something when you've reached an impasse? Let's come at this from a common sense standpoint, okay? Let's set aside the whole husband wife thing for just a minute and pretend that we're talking about two humanoids. This can be two girls or two boys, or it can be a boy and a girl. It can be a variety, they can be a variety of human colors. They can be roommates, siblings, coworkers, board members, just whatever, all right? Let's just say that these two humanoids don't agree, but a decision must be made. Now, there's only two of them, so a majority vote cannot be taken. They are equals, so there is no bigger or better human that gets to make the decision. Oh dear, there's no simple, clear-cut, quick answer to this. This is a conundrum. We are wringing our hands and panicking. What do we do? Okay, we can solve this with mutual respect, mutual Interest, mutual goals, mutual honor, mutual concern, mutuality. Is there going to be a compromise? Yeah, probably.
1: Whenever we have something that's difficult, the desire to have a system or a formula to make it easy uh, is pretty strong.
0: Yep, well, and when people make that promise and say, here, if you do this, this, and this, you will be growing your kids God's way. Right. Like, oh, well, I better, I want to grow my kids God's way, not exactly. Way, so I better do
1: those things. <laughs> Narcissists aren't necessarily malignant. They don't hate you. They just don't care about you, which, by the way, is the right definition of hatred. The the person who can look at you and not see you and use you for his own purposes, that's the real hater. Yes. Because love, love takes the risk of opening to another real person.
3: This is a side note, and it's a funny. I'll share with your audience. My daughter is in college, and she takes a b- lot of Bible classes. And she she said to me last night, she goes, "You know what the definition of heresy really is, Mom." And I said, "What's that, honey?" And she goes, "It's just thinking for yourself sometimes." Well, <laughs> I just, it was so yeah. funny because that's that's what we. I mean, really, to to stand up for yourself, you have to start. Be- start recognizing some belief systems that you have that might not be right or and and they're they're belief systems that actually harm you. Every woman will come to a point when they say, I can't do this
8: anymore. Mm -hmm. And I came to that point.
0: God made us to be strong, noble queens. We are royal daughters of the King of kings, so let's take our places by him And make choices for our lives that are driven by his word and his direction. And you guys, that's not always going to be pleasing to everyone around us. Jesus had a lot of disapproving folks that were, you know, clucking their tongues behind his back. And how did he handle that? The first paradigm shift, I think, that I had to... Um, come to realize is that I was an adult and I wasn't a child, but that even though I was an adult, I was still living as though I was an emotional child. I realized that I actually could make my own decisions and I didn't need the validation or permission of anybody else. I didn't need the permission of my um, parents. I didn't need the permission of my husband. I didn't need my small group leader's permission or the women at church, the, the ladies, you know, the ladies, the leadership of the ladies committee at church. And I didn't need their permission. I didn't need my pastor's permission or the elder's permission. I, I look back on my life back then and I think, wow, I was completely and totally living for, for the opinions of everybody else. I could not make my own decisions.
3: It has taken five years, but I have slowly and not completely, but I believe slowly weeded most of the toxic people out of my life simply by going back and saying, trust, but verify. Don't just and don't feel this um, this weight of needing to trust somebody that's not trustworthy
10: what i've decided is over the years i was really just grasping for for hope like i just needed hope that it would get better that he would find love for me or you know find something favorable about me to at least bring out kindness and really what i was doing was i was treating hope like it was grace that like if i hoped enough if i worked enough that god would give him the grace to be different
0: Finally, I stopped living for other people and and tr- trying to win their love and approval and acceptance by being who they wanted me to be and finally found who I really was. I live now out of the, my core values, out of the core of who I am as a human being, in my identity in Jesus Christ. And there are going to be some people that really enjoy me and want to be my friend and want to have relationship with me. And there, and we're going to enjoy that. And then there are going to be other people who don't, they want a relationship with me that is conditioned on my being someone that I'm not someone who they want me to be. That's again, that's power over another person.
1: Because his guidance comes from his presence and our connection to him, not from our interpretation of information. Yeah. The dilemma with the knowledge of good and evil is it puts our interpretation in charge of what's right and what's wrong. So if the if people in power are in charge of interpretation, yes. then people in power can say divorce is against the Bible, um, women should submit to their husbands, and what that means is they should be subject to their husbands, you know. On and on and on, the interpretation of the map becomes, uh, uh, becomes the, the result of whoever is in power's interpretation.
5: My <laughs> ex-husband would tell me what I was feeling, mm. and it didn't match up with what I knew inside, but I trusted him so much, and I thought he was just this brilliant person, and he knew, he knew me so well <laughs> that it was just really confusing
0: what what that kind of reflects of even our long term marriage is that decisions have been made repeatedly um where i only get 5% of the story i get little bits and pieces of of the truth and sometimes there's even omissions in those truths like it's he's twisting it but then it always is the end result always is he is going to do what he
3: wants to do with no regard for how that would impact me emotionally, spiritually, mentally.
0: We are extremely powerful in this world. You guys, we don't even know the power of, the, of a woman. Because our world and our history has so just, Satan has just used so many tools to crush us down into the ground. That's why I think that this this work on our own personal lives is so critical to our world. We may not see the full impact of the work that we do on our personal lives, but I guarantee that it is not going to be for nothing. And it will, the model that you will be for other people when you get strong, for your kids, for your grandkids, for maybe not even for them, maybe for other people. Is going to reverberate into eternity.
10: I notice it more in where people have grown up in real um, legalistic traditions. Yeah, um, where there's where it's very authoritarian, very performance driven. Um, and often, you know, even that setup is often attached to family of origin stories, which makes that feel normal. Yeah um, where performance is what's valued, performance is how you feel loved and accepted. and um, you know, I think there's so many core lies that settle in attached to family of origin experiences sometimes that kind of are the setup even for abusive, getting into abusive, relationships, or marriages, and even spiritually abusive systems? Really what what I've come to is this place
6: of looking at forgiveness as something that is for me. Like it involves another person and or another group of people to the extent that they did something wrong against me. But forgiveness really is me saying, okay, that can't control me moving forward. It's not even about Like justice for me, because I feel like if I'm saying, "Hey, I'm going to forgive them," so that they can get, so that God can give them justice, like it's still about them, right? It's not about me and my commitment to moving forward in
10: my life. Um, But the best thing for me is I can walk into my bedroom at night, and I am not afraid. That's
0: huge. Huge. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So basically, you get to be like a grown-up adult now.
10: Yeah, I actually can make decisions for myself. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard because I think, oh my gosh, what should I do? What should I do? I don't have anyone to ask. But then I'm like, just calm down, Robin, and it's gonna be okay. Whichever way you decide, it's still gonna be okay. Yep.
0: Yep. And you just yeah. learn you you grow into that skill and you become more and more confident as you as you as you get more time under your belt getting out. I like to think about this like a chess game, that God can play an infinite number of chess games all at the same time, and he knows all of the moves. There is no move that you can make that is outside of his knowledge or ability to continue playing chess with you. People can't figure this out. Of course, God is infinite. He's unfigureoutable. And when they try, it's only because they're not really trusting that God's got this. I'd like you to consider the idea that maybe trusting God means living your life in freedom and love because you know, 100% sure, that He's got your back.
6: Just because you are making a stand, finally, you know, for the first time in forever, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It means that you are, you know, fighting for your life, number one, and fighting for your children, number two. Just because you're being strong, you know, it doesn't mean that you're bad or um, that you're going you're to go to hell. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're standing up for your rights as a human. So um, I see people or women really living into their fear instead of living into who they really are. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter if you can define whatever it is as abuse, because I feel like this is one of the ways like kind of feeling like you have to define something as abuse can be really harmful is because I feel like people tend to take it to either their partner or if they're in religious environments, they'll try to take it to their pastor or biblical counselor and say, hey, I think this is abuse. And then you can kind of get into these arguments and back and forth about the definition of abuse and trying to figure out, well, is it abuse or is it not? And ultimately, that doesn't really matter, right? You still have the choice. Like if you're in a relationship and there are patterns of harmful behavior to you, you can decide to do something different, to walk away, whether or not somebody else would call what's happening abuse. The one counselor told me I had
8: um, magical thinking because I I was still at the point where I wanted, you know, him, I wanted to be married to him. And Mm -hmm. this counselor told me he wasn't going to change.
0: Remember, you've told them a million times already. They're not going to go out and work on themselves and their own behavior. They're not going to do it because they can't. You guys... They live in an alternate reality where you are a Lego character in their universe.
6: You're not allowed to be you. So you brought up the Jeremiah 17.9 scripture, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. That scripture... Was used um, so much to teach us to discount our emotions and our feelings, (laughs) which I think goes a long way in perpetuating the system of spiritual abuse.
4: Because of the profound level of subtlety that is embedded in the emotional abuse process, the abuser isn't hitting you and leaving a black eye. So it's like, how how are you going to prove it? So I always say it's the death of a thousand cuts, right? If we looked at one of those incidents, one of those cuts, we'd go, oh, that's not that big a deal. And it really, truly wouldn't be. But when you look at a thousand, you're looking at a pattern of profound
0: destruction. You see, it's impossible to be free when you give your freedom away. You guys, the scenario I just described is how the world seems to operate everywhere you go. Everyone wants to control everyone else, but nobody wants to do the one simple thing that could break the spell, and that's to control your own self, nothing else, just yourself.
5: There's also another set of people who are vulnerable to gaslighting, and that's folks who do have a good amount of self-confidence,
8: because for some gaslighters, they can look at that and see a target or a conquest. Mm -hmm. And they can say, well, I don't really like that they are that proud
5: of themselves or that they feel that good about themselves. I would rather take them down a peg.
3: And so they will start undermining that foundation of self-confidence by making the person
10: question themselves or doubt themselves.
3: I want to, I want to say one more thing about servant leadership. Um, I am a CEO of a company. I have a lot of employees. Um, am I a nice person? Absolutely. Would I use the word servant leadership? Sure. We can throw that word out. Why not? Right. I want, I, d- I do want my employees. I, I make it a goal that my employees when they're done or as they work for me, they're increasing their skill level. So when they're gone from me, they are better than when they came. Great. That's great. Not many companies do that, but at the end of the day, I'm still the boss. I can still fire. I can still tell you what to do. You are not equal to me. Does that make sense? Like you can say servant leader all day long, but that does not change the fact that the man can tell the woman and she has to obey. Exactly idea of complementarianism.
0: I teach the women in my program this concept of how an abuser pretends that the people in his immediate family are like Lego characters in his universe. You know, when a child plays with a Lego character, he makes the little plastic character do and say what he wants it to do and say. So abusers do the same things with family members. The only problem is that real people aren't Lego characters real people have real opinions and ideas and problems and weaknesses and preferences and dreams and goals and on and on and on. And all of those things are going to be different from person to person and from child to child because human beings are unique. This means that real people are not Lego characters. So here's what happens though. The problem is that when the abuser experiences his family members showing up like the real people they are, he has a little hissy fit because they aren't doing what he
7: says they should be doing. Not only do we try to defuse the bombs, we actually get blamed for the bombs. Yes. Like, even when we defuse, it's like, well you didn't, weren't doing this or this. And in fact, could you do it better? Like you don't even get thanked for putting a bomb out. Exactly. You get You're the reason that the bomb was put there in the first place. So yes. shame on you. <laughs> yes. And shame on you because you really should have done a better job at putting that bomb out. Yeah. Oh so, my gosh.
0: So frustrating. And,
7: and that is the, I think the systemicness of it in the family and in the church, and that's the script that everyone is going by.
0: Yep, and that script needs to change. Because no one around me really understood what was going on. Um, they went to the, you're crazy this is all your fault. And here's 17 things you need to do to be a better wife. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was set up pretty well to believe that this is all my fault. And um, there are a lot of ways that they reinforced that, that, that were um, just so damaging to me.
6: And I think that once I got out of that church um, for about four years, I was just floundering,
3: just wondering what, who am I? What does God think of me? And and how do I deal with this self-loathing? The research shows that writing and digging into that tough stuff, like actually writing your feelings and getting into those stories, and we can talk about how in, in the past and current tough stories actually helps boost your immune system. Boost your emotional um, well-being, physical, psychological well-being. There is a wide body of research around that. That um, so much so that they now even have degrees on, um, gosh, what is it? Uh, expressive writing therapy. Becoming your own person should mean that you deal with your own problems, right? Right. So part of this is I need to push them to, to take care of their own problems for themselves and, and so be, be as little involved as possible. But that doesn't mean I'm not part of their lives. We have a get together today with the whole family and you know dinner and I'll make a good dinner. We'll sit around the table and enjoy each other's company. But that's it. I'm not going to, you know, if I had a the neighbors over I'm not going to sit there and ask how every part of their life is going that's not my that's not my job that's not my place and so I'm trying to realize that's how I need to treat my adult kids because if I do anything else it really does backfire
0: and there you have it happy 100 episodes to the flying free podcast I want to thank all of our special guests we've had over the past two years but most of all I want to thank you our listeners, for being part of this journey with us. You can't have a podcast without listeners, right? (laughs) If you like this podcast, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so others can find it too. I hope you enjoyed our show today. Until next time, fly free.